Welcome to the Sum of It All Faster Isn't Smarter podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague, Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're exploring Faster Isn't Smarter by Kathy Seeley. Transcripts to our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. And in this episode and in our next episode, we're going to be talking about professional growth. Uh, there's a lot of resources in this book for it, and so we split it into two episodes. This week, we are going to dive into messages 26, 28, and 39 with our theme, Growing Together and How Professional Growth is Collaborative. And I just, as we dive into this first message around um, beyond pockets of wonderfulness and the power of articulation and collaboration, Kathy just makes a great um, series of cases for collaboration. And it starts with a wonderful quote um, that says, the power of one, if fearless and focused is formidable, but the power of many working together is better. And I just love that notion of collaborative work um, and how we use each other to, to grow and work together. Um, and so in doing so, a case for collaboration, Kathy mentions a couple things right off the bat that I found interesting, both as a secondary teacher, um, and Mark, I'm interested in your take as an elementary teacher as mm -hmm. well here. Yeah, sure. Um, first, she mentions that vertical articulation can just help minimize unnecessary repetition, which I thought was fantastic, something that we rarely did at secondary. We just assumed that people would know the next thing. Um, and my favorite memory of this is when I actually looped with the kids for a year, not intentionally, like they don't call it looping, but I got the next course in high school and I was like, wow. no, no, wait, I taught you this. Like you're <laughs> supposed to know this already. That was in our last year's curriculum. Um, so I, I know that that's the same thing true in elementary, right? Where like that vertical articulation and the need for that helps us avoid a lot of unnecessary repetition. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I have to agree with you, Audrey. I think that, um, in my experience, in all the years that I was in elementary, we didn't do that very often either. I remember one time when we had a big wall where we unpacked all the standards, you know, for a particular grade span and so forth. And that, that was kind of interesting. But, but in terms of really doing that with all content areas and really seeing where everything the students are coming from in the grade before and where they're going the grade after, um, I have to say that it was is not done enough and really where it was needed and never happened was going from elementary school to middle school. Mm. Um, because I remember going to a, a meeting with the middle school teachers one time and it was clear we were on completely different pages and it was a scary moment. And so just to validate what you said about uh, vertical articulation, I think is a really exciting way to, to get collaboration going. I love that, Mark. It's a great example because her quote in there that really just stuck with me says, it liberates teachers from unspoken assumptions that can unnecessarily consume classroom time. And I just, I know at every level, it's like, well, this is what the next level needs. I know it, you know, and when you think back to how you, you know, quote unquote, know that they need that, is it based on that articulation or is it based on like your last experience with that next grade? Or is it based on a one-time piece of information from a long time ago that you're still, you're still wrestling with? So I think it's a great opportunity to think through, hey, how could you collaborate vertically? Well, that's such a good point, Audrey. It's like, or is my middle school memory of what should be happening in middle school based on when I was in middle school. Yeah, I mean, that's right? pretty scary that I'm preparing my kids in fifth grade, my students for middle school, but my memory of middle school. So even more reason why we absolutely need vertical articulation, right? Yeah, so that, and that's just one type of collaboration she talks about. Another one she talks, another reason for doing collaboration, she talks about when you're trying something new or different, that having a peer to be with you on that um, creates, um, 
and a, a ready-made support system is what she calls it. So someone to celebrate success together, someone to problem solve the challenges together, and that that greatly increases the probability that your innovation or new approach will succeed. And so I think about the times when I tried something new and I did have a partner um, teacher who was trying it on in another classroom, how valuable that collaboration was. Um, it reminds me of the idea of like having a gym buddy when you go, when you want to have a new habit at the beginning right. of the year, right? Like have someone who's going to be responsible with you um, and accountable to you as you move through those, those challenges together. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was in a program early on in my teaching where we were teaching after school program and we went on Saturdays to get ready for the upcoming week to learn about the, uh, the different activities we're gonna do with students. And we did those with other adults. And then after we did them, we came back and talked about it. And it, it, I felt like I was not alone. I felt like we were all shifting our practice in different ways, but at the same time, and, it, and I agree with you, just the, the fact that I could talk to other people really made it easier for me to do. I think that's a great example. I want to highlight one other piece you said about collaboration that I think is so valuable. And that's that when we do work together with another colleague, like on examining student work together, that sometimes we actually push up against our own unconscious or implicit biases. Mm. Like when we're inside of our own classroom, um, we do all kinds, of, I don't know about you, Mark, but I did all <laughs> kinds of tricks to not see the names of my students when I was grading mm. work or when I was looking at things, because I knew that as soon as I saw their name, there was an assumption. And I've even, I mean, I hear teachers say this all the time. Like when you go grade that paper or the test, you look for that student's paper first to check your key against. Um, have you heard about this where you have like I have that stellar student that you're like, they're going to find the mistakes I made in my key. So I'm going to use theirs first. Um, but that is right there filled with all kinds of implicit bias, right? And unconscious bias. And so when we look at student work um, with a colleague, sometimes we are able to move past that where a colleague is able to see something we weren't able to see, even though it's right there on the paper in front of us. Um, it's just so clouded with the fog that we've talked about in previous episodes and seasons uh, that we can't even realize we're in because um, that's just how our brains work with unconscious bias. Yeah, that's true. And I really like how you're bringing equity into this conversation, Audrey, with that because uh, that, that is exactly what's happening there. And you know, it's actually making me think about something a little bit different around this whole idea of collaboration in terms of what barriers are there that are keeping us from collaborating more. And I'm thinking back to um, my work in elementary school, and there's one thing that's popping in my head specifically. And when I saw the title Beyond Pockets of Wonderfulness, I have to say this, this structure that happens in so many elementary schools came right to mind. And it's the idea of parent requests. Mm. So that parents, as they go, their kids march on through elementary school, um, there's the huddle at, at the corner at the stop sign with parents talking about who should we request for fourth grade. And the reason I connected this around professional learning and collaboration is it really it really sets apart teachers and doesn't encourage them to collaborate because it sets up this star teacher at each grade level that all the parents should rush rush to request and i what an inequitable practice because then parents with privilege parents with connections to the administrator they are the ones who get to lobby their, for their student to be in a particular class and then that that teacher is set apart as as this pocket of wonderfulness instead of there being a sharing of strategies across a particular grade level so that we can ensure that each student will get high quality instruction no matter who the teacher is 
that's a great point, Mark. And I appreciate you thinking and bringing into this conversation about the barriers of collaboration. I think, um, I think from a secondary lens, I'm recognizing that we don't often have time. I don't think for elementary either to get into each other's classrooms or see each other. Mm, right. And so we don't even know that we can trust each other. Like the only collaboration we have are artificial meetings that are put on our schedule. You know, right. we call them PLCs before they are PLCs um, <laughs> that we don't know if we can trust each other. We don't know if we know each other. We're not maybe willing to be vulnerable or transparent. The culture of the school might not be one of, of transparency, but instead of competition um, and trying to earn, like you're talking about, like, kind of the favor of the principal or the parents, like that might be a really important thing. And so I'm, I'm curious about us thinking through like, how do we each take ownership of that and say, it's part of my responsibility as being an educator in community with other educators to build relationship with them, to be vulnerable, to be transparent about my practice and to look for support among my peers. Oh, for sure. I, I, I'm really keying into that word community that you just used. Um, I just think it is something that we just pass over. We all we all talk about how important it is, especially in our classrooms, right? Look at look at how much time we spend in our classrooms in community oftentimes to, to make sure that our kids are very comfortable talking to each other. Like, what does that look like in the adult realm with teachers working with each other? It also reminds me, Audrey, uh, of some work that you did a few years ago around comparing activities that are cooperative versus collaborative. And I know that you were using the lens of, uh, at least in the case that I'm thinking of with student activities, when students are working together, is it just cooperative or is it actually collaborative? Does the task demand that they collaborate? Well, I wonder if that connects to what we're talking about with adults, with professional learning and collaborating. Like many times I think back to the PLCs as you referred to them, there was a lot of cooperation going on there. It's like the principal told us all to be in this room at this time. There's a lot of cooperation. But how do we bring that to the level of collaboration? That's a great point, Mark. I can definitely think of opportunities and times where we just passed the test we had written over to someone else or the activity. We're like, this is what I created. Check it out. And that's cooperation, right? We're saying like, I'm happy to do my slice of the pie. Um, here it is for everyone else to use. But if we really think that that's how we serve all students, well, I think we're mistaken. I really think we need everyone working together to figure this out, which is what collaboration is, right? Saying that any one of us on our own cannot do this, that we need each other in order to um, accomplish what we're trying to do, which is to reach each and every student. And so if we think about it as a collaborative effort, um, we're asking different questions. We're not saying just take this from me and just try it on, but we're instead saying, how would you fix this? How would you change this? What could you push back on my practice to make it better? Um, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to just consider what's, what's a first step. If you are not right now sitting in a collaborative team or you don't feel like you have a wealth of collaboration happening as part of your work, like what's something you could do in order to make that first step? Is it thinking about a lesson or a unit you want to improve and asking someone for help. Or maybe it's reaching out to someone like we were talking about earlier with the vertical articulation and saying like, you know, I would love to know what you're thinking would be awesome for your next year's kiddos to walk in the door with. Like, what is something I can, one thing I can improve on this year to help your next year start off better. Um, what are other ideas you have, Mark, for, for next steps? Well, the thing that I, I like all your ideas and the thing I keep going back to that word community and how we get to know each other. And I think that 
if I'm able to share things that I feel in the very beginning of getting to know my colleagues at the beginning of the school year, things that I feel like that I have to offer, things that I feel like that I um, been working on for a while, if I can expose those to my colleagues so that they can hear about them, I think that just can really help in terms of building community. Um, I, so I think I think that idea of of having some form of of sharing in the beginning so that people have something to to acknowledge each other for is so important because we don't want the pocket of wonderfulness. We want we want the idea that everybody has something to offer, but we've got to keep lifting each other up that way. I think that's a great point. I think that segues really nicely into um, the second message of our of our podcast today, which is around. So now you're a teacher and becoming <laughs> part of a math teacher community. And I think what you're even describing as we we're wrapping up that last message is that like everyone, including the new, te new teacher, the person brand new to the system has something to offer. Um, and that's a really weird space to, to navigate. So uh, everyone can put their time, you know, their time hats on and travel back into remembering when you first began a teacher um began um in your teacher role like how did it feel to navigate the difference between what you learned in school about being a teacher and then being a teacher in the classroom audrey i am so glad you brought that up because that has been something that has been puzzling to me for years and i i, I haven't quite figured it out yet but it's just this this juxtaposition of the university learning you go to teacher school and then you get to the school and it's like, no, this is the site-based experience. This is the wealth of experience of the veteran teachers. And there seems to be this thing that clashes, not all the time, but often. And I've really thought about like, why are these at odds with each other? And you know, what's feeding this conflict? You know, what are the messages that each of these players are giving that are feeding the conflict? And you know, it's it's just really made me think about like this idea even of research versus practice. And I even think back, Audrey, to when I was a teacher, because I fell victim to this. I got into my school site and the veteran teachers are like, this is how we roll and this is what we gotta do. And so it even made me, I think, skeptical at times to feel like I needed to read outside sources like articles and so forth. So I, I think it's really important for us to think about how to undo that so we can get the best of both right so that we can continue to grow our practice based on research and we can value what universities are preparing our students with and then we also can value that experience so audrey i'm wondering like how we can sort of get the best of both of those important pieces i think that's a great question and um and how do we honor that both of them are valuable right mm -hmm. that you need yeah. both of them together and it's not you used one or the other that it's right. together right um, that's super interesting to think about also, like in the context of new teachers, like they come in and oftentimes their classroom is given to them from a retired teacher or someone who left, right? And there's <laughs> right. all this stuff that comes with it. And I think about, you know, being a new teacher and just people just handing me books of lesson plans or activities, um, and then perpetuating that later. Um, and instead of thinking of the, the work as done, if we invited each other along a journey together and we said, Hey, here's what I'm investigating this year as a quote unquote veteran teacher. I'm trying to figure out how to get better at getting my kids talking in class. So like anytime you want to talk about that, let's talk about that together because I'm on the learning journey. Um, would that both acknowledge the new teacher as someone who has information and things to share and invite them on a journey together saying like, we are not looking at like a finish line here. This is a perpetual growth that we're doing. I'm glad you said finish line, Audrey, because I think that there's a mythical finish line. 
I mean, we've talked about the myth of average before. I think there's a mythical finish line. At some point, there's a there's a crowning ceremony in everybody's head where they are not a new teacher and they are a veteran teacher. Mm. And I think the weird thing about that is something gets switches off in the head. So it's like sort of like, well, I'm 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 good now. And I, of course, I'm overgeneralizing this, but but it, I think it sort of happens. And so um, I think that's partly what works against at least me in my my educational experience of the continuous improvement piece. I think there's something that reinforces the notion that new teachers are the ones that need to get schooled. And the rest of us, as soon as we magically become veterans at some point, many of us feel like our experience is what is gold. It's not so much the, the, the articles or the other research that we hear about. It's like, no, I know because like, I know that this is the right thing. So Audrey, like, how do we, how do we sort of push against that? So it's not like me just saying, I, I know because this works with my students. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It definitely makes me think of the um, observe me movement that happened oh, a few yeah. years ago, or uh -huh. pineapple charts. If you're not familiar with that, um, you can check out the hashtag observe me on Twitter. Um, or Robert Kaplinsky has a blog about it. But the idea is that like, how do you ask people for feedback? How do you open up your door and say, here's something I'm yeah. trying and I want some feedback on it. Um, and how do we essentially remove the, the idea that when we shut our doors that we have we are taking down all transparency and that's my own little, I think we've used the word kingdom or something like right. that's my own little space. And how do we instead open doors um, and ask for feedback and solicit ideas? And so for each one of us, if we were to say like, I want people in my classroom observing, but I am also committed to helping those in my community um, by going when they ask right yeah, and finding right. the 10 minutes and saying like this matters to your growth i'm going to take 10 minutes out of my day to try this on um that these don't have to be i'm taking a day off of work or i'm giving right. my entire prep period uh, which we know that many people do not have at these moments and times um but how do i take a few minutes to help out a colleague and then in exchange ask for that kind of feedback um in return i i love you bringing that idea back up again with observe me because I think it ties into what we we're talking about earlier with this idea of building community. Because if I go observe you in your classroom, I'm seeing you doing the things that are part of you as a teacher that make you who you are as a teacher. I can't learn about that as we sit after school in a room. I can learn about that when I'm in your classroom, when you're with your students. And that way, if I'm doing that with my colleagues that I regularly collaborate with, I'm gonna be able to have already seen their genius as teachers and the collaboration can just work way different. So um, I really think that's a great reminder for us, Audrey. Awesome. Well, there's one other piece I wanna bring up before we move to our last message, which is that okay. Kathy challenged me on this one little line. I mean, it was like hidden in there. She said, collaborating with our colleagues and our students to constantly improve our students' learning experiences. And I think you can read that very quickly and just hear colleagues. Like I'm supposed mm. to be listening to my colleagues in order to support students but she included collaborating with students. Ah. And I don't know that that's something I ever thought to do while I was in the classroom. Mm. Like I didn't think to stop and say like, how can students help me make this better? Um, and so I'm inviting that into this space mm. as like a wondering of something I never figured out. I haven't figured out yet. I'm not in a classroom right now to try it on, but I'm curious um, for those listening who have tried it, who have tried collaborating with students, who have tried listening to students mm -hmm. either through empathy interviews or shadowing students 
or just sitting down at the table with them together and saying like, this is the thing I'm trying to figure out. How might this work for you? How might you help me, you know, navigate this next step? Um, I am super curious about learning how people are doing that and honoring the voices of students. So we'd love to hear about that if you're doing that um, or have thoughts on that. Um, and as we think about that, you know, making sure that we, um, we acknowledge that as we work for our growth mindset in our, in our students and we say, hey, it's okay not to be there yet. Um, we might even acknowledge that for ourselves, like it's okay if I'm not there yet. Um, are we doing that also for our colleagues and acknowledging that they might not be there yet? Um, and how do we continue um, in that community to grow? So with that in mind, um, final message of this podcast is standing on the shoulders, learning from each other. Um, Mark, what stood out to you in this, in this um, message? Well, well, you know, the thing that stood out to me really was there was a quote from Plato. So that's just from a minute ago, right? <laughs> and, and there's a quote, it says, those having torches will pass them on to others. And I, I just thought that was a really interesting quote. And it really made me think about like, Audrey, like, how do we live into that quote? Like, that's, that's kind of a serious quote. Like, hey, I'm just trying to get through the day. <laughs> You know, like, mm -hmm. Now you're telling me I got to pass a torch, <laughs> you know? So I think we spend a lot of time or I'll just speak for myself. I spent a lot of time really trying to make a difference for my students. I mean, I, I'm in it to win it. This is, this is why I'm doing the work, but like, wait a second, I got to pass my a torch on others. So um, what about you, Audrey? What are, what are some things that resonated with you? Yeah, I, I appreciate your point there, Mark, because I, I don't often think about like my job here is to leave something better for the next generation of educators, right? Um, but when you think back to that, she calls out like this idea of like whose shoulders is sh that she's standing on. Mm. And when you start thinking about that, like I really just feel like there's a mosaic of faces, of articles, of authors, yeah. of speakers who were able to craft my career into what what it is right now um, right. and that any one of those to call them out might seem odd in a moment to say like hey when I read this article or when I heard this person speak or when I visited this person's classroom or saw them interact with students it changed something for how I thought about teaching um, but that is absolutely how my teaching career developed is all of those things in concert with each other continuing to push like that wondering like could I do something different how might I think about that does that have an impact on my classroom? And, and thinking about that in reverse then and saying like, how are we then each those little pictures for someone else and their mosaic, right? Um, and how are the small things that we're doing impacting them um, in their future? Yeah, I, I, I think that's such a great point about the small things because I think when I hear the word collaboration, I feel like there's a pressure like, we've got to co-plan a unit together. What you just described with this mosaic of people and experiences that it made you the educator that you are now, um, it really just reminds me that it could be one simple thing that we share with a new teacher. It could be one phrase. It could be something that we ha have community around a group with. So it doesn't have to be this huge, huge thing because as you just put, Audrey, it's the same for me. Um, there's not one person that, that caused me to be who I am as an educator today. So who, how can we be part of forming the mosaic of the people around us? Super powerful. And so I think in that time, as busy as we are, as um, worn out as we are in the time that we're at and the part of the year that we're at, um, how can we do the small things? How can we acknowledge that the small things matter? 
Um, and so taking those two minutes to share something or ask a question or um, be the support that someone needs, um, you might not have a real, you might not realize what kind of impact you end up having on their career. And that's all of the students and lives that they end up touching. So um, something to think about as we move into this, this fall season. I love it. Let's be the ripple in whatever body of water we're near. I love it, Audrey. Thanks for joining us in this episode. In our next episode, we will chat about continuous growth with messages 29 and 40. You can grab the full schedule by visiting www.sdcoe.net slash math and clicking on the podcast page. Until then, send us a tweet with the hashtag SumMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T. With your questions and thoughts, we'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes on your professional learning journey. Remember, faster isn't smarter. <laughs> <laughs>